Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Yeah, like I butt heads with them all the time, but like what they would teach me on just like how to make controls feel snappy and how to make things pop and how to make things breathe and just all these weird skills and, mm-hmm. and actually being now very sympathetic for what, like a lot of times I think we would all be resistant to what they're asking. And, you know, you quickly, once you start like running a studio, you be, you're like. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you, and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. I have a great episode for you today, so let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Today's guest is Chip Sanini. He's been in the industry since 1994 and worked at a variety of game studios. Got a lot of interesting insights. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, John. Cool. Thanks for being on the show. So what's your current role at Phosphor? I'm directing a project, a dream project, actually, of something I've been uh, pushing for 20 years. I do Shit. the, uh, on that project right now, I'm, I'm literally wearing a lot of hats. I'm the project lead. I'm the art director. I'm the lead designer. Lead environment artist, the AI designer, I, uh, I do a lot of stuff on it. Wow. 20 years. Tell me about that. So there was like a design went back that you've just been sitting on and just wanting to make it for something? or Yeah, exactly. There was, you know, you know it's from 1999, literally 20 years ago, hmm. that it was after playing a lot of like the early N64, Sega Saturn, PlayStation 1 games that mm-hmm. I... You know, I, I really liked what they were doing with like things like Zelda and Panzer Dragon Saga and all those yep. kind of early, you know, the 16, well, not 32-bit first 3D games. Mm-hmm. And it's been in the back of my mind forever. And I've always kind of had it there as like something I wanted to do. And we finally met a great publisher that wanted to do it. So it was kind of one of those things like, you know, we, hmm. we threw the pitch out there and we, we did, we did have, um, we did work on it enough to have like mock-ups and actually working in Unreal 4 right. and um, they liked it and it's being made. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's gotta be exciting to see uh, dusting it off and being able to bring it to life and uh, be involved with it like that. That's, that's great. All right. So kind of tell me how you got started in the video game industry. Yeah. So I was, I started the game industry in uh, 1994. I was uh, at the, a school there Institute in Chicago mm-hmm. and Viacom New Media came to one of those career days and you know they looked at my portfolio they saw I was I wanted to make games I was one of there wasn't a lot of people at their institute 
who weren't who were focused on something like games in the time mm-hmm. you know yeah, 1994 yeah it was, yeah, it, it was still you know it was even like I was doing 3D renders and render work when even like what was happening at Viacom was mostly the more 16-bit sprite art and things like that. Although there was a lot of the CD-ROM stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had this like soft homage experience, and I think this the studio mm-hmm. was moving towards like soft homage and some 3D things. So right. uh, they offered me an internship, and then I remember I got a call, and and it was like, hey, you know, the internship is going to be taking a lot longer. And it wasn't a paid internship, but you know, if you want to make money now, you could help us with QA. Mm-hmm. So then, lo and behold, you know, I was hired into the QA group where you know I worked with you. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I always yeah. think it's funny that, um, like, and this is just like a, a game biz thing where it's like I think like at bull at, at so many times, I th- I think it's been like more than once like we flipped roles over who is like on a hierarchy chain a little higher. Mm-hmm. And I think like once you've been around long enough, you're like, yeah, it all doesn't matter. Like right, every, right. every intern's going to be in charge of you, you know, whatever. Right, like it right. doesn't at any point, you know, anything like that's going to happen. Right. So it's like, yeah, I think we flip flop all the time. Though. Like I never, I never know like in which project, like one of us will be the client and which one of us will be, you know, the, uh, the, the yeah, actual service, I, I think we, you know. I think you came in, you, you took the, uh, it's probably the Zoop, uh, Zoop QA test, right? Like, here's this buggy game. Let's see if you can find some bugs and how well you write them up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the really exciting thing for me about the whole QA experience was that I got my name, you know, burned into a ROM, which was like mm-hmm. a goal since I was a little kid that like my name's in a, you know, 16-bit. It's in Beavis and Butthead. I think both the versions. Mm-hmm. It's in the Guts version. Yeah, right. And then, so it was like, it was like, it just felt so permanent. You know, like mm-hmm. even today, Right. I don't really care if my name's in any game we work on. Like, I, I mean, I've worked on in the last 10 years. I mean, I think, I think it's like almost 20 products at this point. And like, mm-hmm. I don't half the time, like, I don't know if my name's in it or not. I think when, when, you know, when apps kind of became so there's so many games and so many digital things, I don't mm-hmm. really pay attention to the credits, even on things I've been, I've had way more input and have been way more proud to like, to, you know, I created this, but yet, mm-hmm. like, my name in the credits of like Beavis and Butthead is like <laughs> a big pride moment of like, yes, it's in a, yes. you know, if somehow the world falls apart, right. it's still that, that EPROMs might that. still, yeah, the EPROMs might still work, you know, somehow. Right. <laughs> they could pull it out of like a fossilized rock and right. figure out that, you know, while all this digital information is gone forever. Fire it up. So, so that, that was the uh, SNES and Genesis stuff, right? That was back with. Yeah. Radical yeah. Entertainment and uh, S developer, they weren't very good, but yeah. Radical, How crazy is that? Yeah. That like both games yeah. were done by different devs. Yeah, like, it, it was crazy, that, like, and they were different quality, and it was different designs, and it yeah. was it was is not like uh, here's the game, we're just going to port it on all these platforms. It was, yeah, because the game gear version was done by New FX that later became EA Chicago and all that. Oh wow! Yeah, that wow. was that was out in Hoffman Estate. So I'm not sure how that strategy went down, but it was basically like, here's a small amount of money because the Viacom lawyers were always, you know, hammer developers to get the price down. And they just went to all these different indie studios and like, do your version, do your version, do your version. And the, uh, the Genesis ins- one was it's great. It's just insane to me. They wouldn't know of like that. It wasn't just cheaper for one dev. Right. To just have a few, like instead of redoing all the art, all the sound effects, right. all the right. mechanics, right. All, all the, the systems, all right. the design, all the approvals. Yeah. yeah like right. even approvals. Think of that. Like that, that's a headache with MTV. Oh, that you yeah, have to, that, I wasn't even yeah, thinking of that. It is crazy yeah. to have like all these different versions of the same IP 
done by different developers with different content. And uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's nuts. What's funny is I remember at the time everyone saying, well, they're radically different systems, the SNES and the Genesis. And nowadays, <laughs> like people are like, I can't tell the right. difference. I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cartridges. Because it was like, oh my God, Street Fighters are completely different. And it's like, they kind of look the same now. Like in hindsight, the Genesis version and the SNES version of Street Fighter, I know there's fans of both and I know there's very specifics, but come on, realistically. I, I mean, and even that's like, right. okay, well, yeah, come on. Beavis yeah. and Butthead. Like it was never pushing the systems to their knees. It wasn't <laughs> one was faster and had a better, you know, hitboxes right, right. or whatever. You know, it's like, no. Yeah, right. It yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't bleeding edge. It, it had to just come out. That was the goal. Will it come out? Right. So someone will buy yeah. it. <laughs> will it be out in yeah. October before Thanksgiving when 60% of the games are bought between Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas back in the console days? I mean, that, or the console, yeah. the uh, cartridge days, that's what it was. The Genesis one was inspiring and it had great music and they, they really put their heart and soul into it but the SNES one was just a dud and but they had the book deal to do this strategy guides and I just remember like wow. I remember when I was when I started QA one of the things that blew me away was um I think it was Mike Casso found a bug in one of the Beavis and Butthead where and I and I <laughs> I was not familiar you know I was just coming in I hadn't made any games yet and um and now it doesn't even sound that weird to me mm -hmm. but at the time I remember he like there was some mode where right between it went from an attract mode to like a high score mode. If he like slammed on a certain button, the mm -hmm. game would just crash. And I was like, how did you know mm -hmm. to like press this button between, cause I'm just playing, like I'm just trying to whack on the buttons when right. I'm playing the game and nothing's really breaking. You know, it wasn't, that's not really how you break a game. Yeah. And they've already like figured out stuff for cues right. for inputs and things like that. But he just figured out like if he, when there was like a whistle mm -hmm. being played, in between these two screens it would cause a crash mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i was like how, how did you second. figure Ooh, that out because yeah. that just to me was like you won you found the coolest bug you know that you could just crash the game and uh <laughs> he's just like yeah that's just you kind of yeah. learned to do that you know and i was like wow you know yeah so what do you wish you'd known when you started in the industry now that you've been yeah. in for 25 um, years i don't know uh that's a good question one thing i did i don't think i realized how jealous mm -hmm. i would be of kids working in their basement you know, that like, you know, like uh, that is something that like, I think uh, a lot of us now that um, just younger people just doing what they want to do, making their passion play that they, you know, without having clients, mm. without, you know, doing this as work for hire with just them or their friends that they can, you know, just outcompete, you know, even AAA studios, you know, you look at things like mm -hmm. Minecraft or even now, like, you know, not the untitled goose game is that but those kind of things where it's like yeah these these passion mm. plays are are doing great you know terraria or stardew valley or yeah. any of those things it's like and then you look at like giant triple a things like yeah. anthem you know in the the recent ubisoft stuff where it's you know it doesn't latch and it's like it's just it's just hard to compete right you know 25 years ago if you if you didn't have a publisher you, you didn't have a game right you know there wasn't just kind of you know DIY and, and, and put it out there really, um, there wasn't really any real options like that. So you always had to find that publisher and, and, and sign the deal and, and make the game to have somebody that would front the money because it would cost, you know, millions of dollars yeah. to get cartridges made and end caps and deals with Jeffrey dollars and Toys R Us and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy to think that like Doom may have been the one like I mean, there was probably other anomalies too. 
And even like, yeah, you right, know, it's right. funny that Bethesda came from that. I mean, not quite the same as Doom, like Shareware, but that like Daggerfall, you know, was mm. this like weird. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an IP. Like I know they worked on Terminator and I didn't even work on like a, an NFL game or something. I think they did hmm. to get some money. But, and oh, where Daggerfall yeah. was more like a passion play. But yeah, it is crazy to think that like, yeah, I mean, I, I just couldn't do it without, like I wasn't a programmer. So I couldn't, I, I, there was no tools for me. There was right. no Unreal Engine till I was already in the industry for a few years. And there was definitely no Unity. And even when Unreal came out, it wasn't like people could mm-hmm. really just self-make a game. There wasn't asset stores. Yeah. It was expensive. Yeah, it was expensive as hell, right? I mean, yeah, it wasn't just downloaded for free and learn it. Yeah, I mean, companies used to write their own engines and they would have tools and tech teams. And, you know, it was all, there was no real, turnkey type scenarios with engines and stuff like there are now so yeah it's yeah now you just have the problem of spend the money you know discoverability which is just the the like so many amazing products that nobody's looking at you know and it's like such a weird Mm -hmm. thing of how you it's not about like capturing lightning in a bottle like a great game it's like capturing lightning in a bottle in people's minds Mm -hmm. like do they notice your thing even exists yeah yeah the barrier of entries are so low that there is flooded uh you know in terms of games out in the market so it's like how do you get people's attention and how do you compete with you know user acquisition and a lot of these companies spend millions and millions on user acquisition and how do you go head to head with them unless you find some way to get you know guerrilla marketing or get people to play to packs and get some kind of buzz going or some yeah. kind of way to get something going yeah it's i i, I feel like um, yeah. i mean this isn't really what i wish i knew but i i, I wished i would have uh went on social media way sooner it feels like like i feel like you know when you were a certain age there was like there was so many different you know there was like friendster and then there was myspace and then there was face and you weren't sure right. what things were going to latch and yeah. I, I naturally was repelled by all mm-hmm. those i was like you know i don't want to waste time on that i have you know i have i i'm happy with my life i have friends yeah, I, I was married i you know i didn't really need somewhere to mm-hmm. just kind of post things but i feel like um I feel like then like when Twitter did originally come out, it seems like the people that got on Twitter early really did like make a career out of it. And they, you know, those those people, like when people were er Mm -hmm. early on getting lots of followers, I don't feel like that ever replicated again later, you know, that like a nobody could just kind of get followers the same way. Like now, you know, if somebody shows up on Twitter now, they're usually famous if they just started, you know, or something, they've already done something big. So they're already getting followers, but like, Yes, right. like Jennifer Aniston going yeah, on it's, Instagram. It's not like she Instagram, proved right. like you could do that. It's like no, she just proved Jennifer Aniston can do that. Right? You know? Yeah, like I don't think anybody now just shows up on Twitter and all of a sudden amasses two hundred thousand followers just because they're witty or interesting. You know, like they had you right. know, up to this, which people did originally. Now, you know. So kind of back to the idea, like like what kind of advice uh, would you give someone looking to get their first job today? Like just knowing what the landscape yeah. is and how things have changed. What's really interesting too there is like how much the industry is different in so many just different like eras, like the different era of when I entered when it was basically like, oh my God, you know a 3D program? We have to hire you, you know? And then someone I've worked <laughs> with for more than 20 years that they just liked, I mean, Jared Prano where they, you know, he he didn't have a lot of experience at anything and they just kind of liked his ideas and they liked i think he did an art test or something i don't remember but it was like hey that's cool you know like nowadays like we we really look at portfolios very carefully and like what did they do had they done you know how do they Mm -hmm. 
do they have like a specialized field or not? Or do we, yeah, for programming, tests. we give them programming tests. I mean, one thing that's I think really different now mm -hmm. is though the game industry is almost becoming so different in terms of like, like it's, it, it used to be kind of like, I think in the early two thousands that almost all the, all the AAA studios were kind of similar in the requirements, you know, between like a midway and a THQ and early mm -hmm. Rockstar games and early right. EA sports and those kind of things. Like everyone was kind of looking for the same skills where now I think there's a difference between like a mid tier indie studio, what we look for versus what a AAA studio would look for. And I think like in a AAA, they're really looking for a distinct mm -hmm. specialization. Exactly. Like they're they're looking right? for like, yeah. Hey, you know, are you yeah. a lighting expert and what do you do for lighting? And we're far more likely to, while we still mm -hmm. like tend to put people in big disciplines like environment or character on art or in programming, we look at gameplay versus engine. Mm -hmm. But I think like we, you're going to probably wear a lot more mm -hmm. hats where in AAA, like you might be so hyper-specialized, you know, and just doing one end. But yeah, in indie, we, mm -hmm. we tend to, you know, you're probably going to work on multiple things that are a little bit outside your expertise. Not that we're going to, you know, judge you on how you don't do something yeah. well, but it is, it's almost like a different even want. So like I've seen people that are unhappy with AAA and mm -hmm. I've seen people that are unhappy with indie. So it's even like knowing what you really want to do and then going out for it. Like some people want to be a very tiny part of something that, you know, 20 million people will play. And some people want to be a big part of something right. that, you know, might be a smaller audience, but that audience will really like it. And they'll have more control and more say over what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think I've seen both sides like be happy or sad about it. So it's almost like just even figuring out, you know, where you want to be and what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, what's important to you? Like, is it uh, like I want to be hyper specialized and just do, you know, character hair for these this one series of, of games and just focus on hair tech and make it look the best or be more generalized on a smaller game, but have more input with a smaller audience, but knowing that it's not just such a yeah, a and, and they're literally thing. totally different yeah. mindsets, like one mindset's almost more like like a craftsman, you know, like you're, you're like, you know, like almost like what carpentry is like, I'm mm -hmm. going to do this and maybe I'll do the same thing every day, but I like it. It's stable. I enjoy it. And the other thing might be, yeah. The other thing is more like, it, I'm it's, good at I, it. I don't want to call it yeah. like art, but it's because it, but it, it's more like, I don't know what I'm I don't know how I know how to do this. I don't know if this is going to work. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but I like doing something new all the time and challenging myself. And they're, they're very just kind mm -hmm. of different mentalities and how you go into it. I mean, something that's funny, like at Phosphor Games, like I've, we've yet to work on a sequel. Like we're always working on something new. And I actually <laughs> do like that a lot. Right. Like I actually, I, I kind of feel like when, when um, we've been asked to just repeat ourselves, it's, it's a little boring. It's almost like, why would we do that? Like, why would you just make this? Yeah, like we already right. did that. There, so why that. would we go backwards and just do it again? But I'm also getting to the point too, where I'm like, wow, it'd be nice mm -hmm. not to be so challenged all the time and always have this like rock to push <laughs> right, uphill. Right. Like it would be nice to have some type of like wheels right. to lift the rock up and some kind of, you know, machine. So yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And in terms of diving a little deeper, just in terms of like art and design, like, like what are your thoughts about that on advice? Yeah. And, and that, and that even further goes to the indie AAA where, you know, some people, I think if you want to be, 
like a project leader director or doing something bigger in design mm -hmm. like it's it's really hard now i think in triple a like trip i mean you might not even see your lead designer they might not even know what you did right you know if it's a big enough team same continent yeah 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 you right exactly you you might not be on the same continent so that all goes back to like how much say do you want to have in the product and and picking the right product for yourself but yeah in terms of like very specifics it's like it, it's funny we um we use both unreal and unity a lot and they're great mm -hmm. and um you know i think unreal is really good for a team you know if a, if a team's coming together a larger size team on with that's more of a traditional game you know with either level design or certain kind of mechanics. Mm -hmm. I think Unreal is amazing for that. I do think Unity is really great for smaller and app-like experiences and non-traditional games. Like Unity is actually really good at like just the way it can interface with every platform so well, like, mm -hmm. you know, doing native things an iPhone can do or integrating with Facebook or doing all these kind of like non-traditional games. So it's like, I, I never really view one of them as being superior. It's really, they're just, Different, different tools, tools for different yeah yeah because like unreal isn't as good at like really some simpler things like that mm -hmm. but unity is really terrible at like level design and level you know and, like, and having any yeah, yeah any kind it, of consistency yeah. mm -hmm. right like the funny thing is unity unity will often have like well if you go to the marketplace there's literally 20 versions of blueprints right yeah. there's like so many of them and they all do different things mm -hmm. but but then you don't also have a common like hiring language, like some person may have used Playmaker and then someone else may have oh, used right. some, you know, another tool. And it's like, nobody's quite on the same page. And then neither of them are totally integrated into the engine the way you want. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's usually a solution, but it's not like a global, like every, you can't just point to like, you know, an expertise of, of having it and finding it useful. It's more just like if you, if you need it for yourself on a smaller project, it's there, but yeah. Yeah. And we've had, I mean, we use, Unity at Level X, and we've had experience with, obviously there's challenges here and there, but it, it also works well with other platforms. Like like we did an ex, some stuff on mobile and tablet, and then we had an engineer designer kind of go crazy for a bit, and he figured out how to get it all running in VR on the Vive. And we did some uprising and textures and did some stuff. And then we also just, you know, had this kind of cool little sandbox experience that we, that we developed on the Vive, which, you know, completely different platform than um, a phone or a tablet. So yeah, that, that kind of expandability on different platforms is kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of insane how um, good the tools are. I mean, Unreal's pretty good at that too, but yeah, like, you know, like I've seen people port over like games that they've already made in another engine and they just, they'll actually like, you know, it's worth it to port it back to, Indi to Unity, Unity. Mm -hmm. to just make sure we can put it anywhere whenever something comes out that, mm -hmm. it, that we could just put it on there. We, we had a project that it was crazy unity had a really good maya importer where this one project i don't think it's public hmm. so i can't say the name but they made this whole game in a custom engine using maya as like the level editor and all this stuff okay and then, then they had all these scripts and we imported the maya scenes wholesale perfectly and all these scripts that had like all these animations and things mm -hmm. like we parsed them and ran them so we we basically emulated their engine in unity and it worked like it was one of those things like mm -hmm. the whole time you're like, yeah, this won't work. This right, won't right. It's never worked. Yeah, let's just get this out of the way, improve and go on to the next thing. Like, Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Like this sounds great on paper, but yeah. it won't happen. And then it's like, and it, I mean, it wasn't like easy, like everything was a, a thing, but it was like eventually it did work where it's like, okay, this one custom engine <laughs> right, right. now could technically work on in, in any mobile device, any high end 
console, any you could put it in right. VR, you, put you it could in put switch. it in AR. Yeah, right. yeah, a switch. You could literally put it in anything. And it was like, yeah, it was just kind of crazy that that's, you know, like for any perf cost of a custom engine, it was crazy that that just worked. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's crazy. So, wow, you worked on a ton of projects. So, like, one or two favorite games or projects you'd like to talk about or like things that kind of stand out in your career in your mind yeah it's funny because there's you know there's just so many and i was talking about the one working on right now which is a crazy dream come true Mm -hmm. then i i had a couple years ago i i worked on a game that was actually autobiographical okay where it was about you know it was a it was a metaphor but you know you were it was a game corpse of discovery Mm -hmm. where you oh right yeah yeah, you were this like space explorer and you had to keep, basically you were chasing a dream. You would constantly had this thing and once you'd kind of reach it, it would just kind of be over and you'd have to keep doing it again and again and you'd keep, well, meanwhile, your family was getting older and growing and mm-hmm. you weren't around them at all and it was very much like a kind of a, uh, you know, a, uh, a work, work-life balance kind of yeah, yeah. like thing on that. And um and that, I think I, I it got, you know, it, it's funny. It was one of those games. It was almost, it had some weird connections now to like what Death Stranding is doing where mm-hmm. it wasn't really supposed to be enjoyable. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it was a funny thing where it's like, if it was so enjoyable, then it would have been worth, you know, that would have kind of ruined the message. Like you were doing these things that were kind of supposed to be errands and kind of tedious and kind of like work. So like, uh-huh. it was like, we wanted to make it fun, but it also like, oh, if it's too fun, it kind of didn't work with the narrative, which was like funny. So we were, mm-hmm. it was kind of in this weird spot. And I almost see Death Stranding having some of those similar, like the way it's like a quest and a job and you're kind of out. And there was actually a weird <laughs> inky creatures attacking you the same way. <laughs> and, uh, and you were going over terrain, you know, vast terrain doing, doing like work while this like holographic people are giving you missions and stuff. So it was like funny how similar it is, but huh. that was like a big thing. And, uh, and again, it didn't get great reviews. And I think it was like, terrible on steam but i i I had one review from one site like kill screen which Mm -hmm. yeah which completely understood everything i was trying to do with it they still gave me like a 69 (laughs) and so i think they're like it's great we did all these cool things it's kind of an interesting experience 69 but uh, i still like hold that up as like i'm proud of that more proud of that review than i think anything i've done yeah because it connects but yeah and then Yeah, yeah. But then over the years, just like um, Midway, mm-hmm. it was a crazy experience working with all these guys who, you know, worked on arcade games and, right. you know, all these games I played as a kid, like like working with George Gomez. Yeah, and you like and me both. His, right. Yeah, and he would, you know, the fact he would bring in his Tron illustrations and you would be holding the piece of paper mm-hmm. that would show the Tron joystick and you're just like, I can't, I mean, this is the game I spent so much time playing. Yeah. And the guy that made it's right here. George even, what's funny is he even worked on like mask figures, which I was a little too old for, but my brother hmm. had, and I still liked playing with them where yeah. was this toy line of like these cars that turned into like, they had like guns on them and stuff. And I'm like, he just did so many things. And you're like, wow, I'm just like yeah. hanging out with this guy that's doing all this cool stuff. And then um, yeah. Mark and Sal, like both yeah. really Legends. teaching yeah. me. Yeah. Like I butt heads with them all the time, but like what they would teach me on just like how to make controls feel snappy and how to make things pop and how to make things breathe and just all these weird skills and mm-hmm. and uh and actually being now very sympathetic for what like a lot of times i think we would all be resistant to what they're asking and you know you quickly once you start like running a studio you'd be you're like fuck i'm mark and sal now. <laughs> Tell <laughs> all the kids to do right, something right. they're like no fuck you right, do like, doesn't make sense why i gotta do that and it's like no yeah. those guys knew what they were doing listen yep. to me yeah. and and 
I was wrong back then, but I'm giving you yes. wisdom. So do it. Right. Yeah. All right. A hundred percent. Like I'm thinking like, God damn, right. I remember giving them some shit that like now I just laugh at. Yeah. I used to give Ed Boon, I, I don't know <laughs> if I gave him that much crap about 60 frames a second, right. but I remember thinking like, like that's like when Gears of War first came out and it was looking gorgeous mm. at 30 and GTA was 30 and everything was 30. And it's like, does it really need to be 60? And now like, mm -hmm. you know, once you do VR, you're like nine, if it's not 90, it's too slow. Right. You know, you it's, like, it's like, it's like, you get dizzy. Yeah. yeah. And all gamers are like loving 60 now. Like 60 is like, like 30 is quickly becoming like unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And 60 is becoming just like standard in almost every game now. And it's like funny to think of like, yeah, you know, like it, it bothered him way back then. And, mm -hmm. you know, it took all the rest of us to catch up to it, but right. Yeah, I remember being like, oh, the frame is not 60. I'm like, can't we just live with it at that? No, no. We I'm, like, oh. I'm like, we got to ship the GameCube. What, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to get running at 60? Right. You know, it was just such a technical hurdle. And, and it was so much work you had to get into it. But he knew yeah. that, that reaction time and that feel, you know, the stuff that the great designers like he and Sal and, and Mark and, and George knew that stuff. And Yeah, uh, it was a totally great learning experience. Like, it's, it's, just, it's, It'd be hard to imagine not like I, I'm so grateful I had I was able to work with these people who mm -hmm. understood that and had these you know formulas and you know you could sit with them and I remember watching like Mark just like testing like just button inputs and how how things would go and feel and he's like do you see that lag and I'd be like no yeah right and you're like no but it's like he and then you know eventually you would like and then when something would happen you you would start noticing like oh fuck that is right, right. you know right. like. Like, what's wrong with it? You'd play the game one day, and it's like, it's running at 30. And you're like, oh, oh right. like the thing, yeah. the thing I was recommending that feels terrible? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Got it. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, that NBA yeah. Jam games made like $2 billion. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He gets that yeah. control thing. Yeah. What was the first game that you had a non-QA credit in, like, for doing art? Uh, was it Blitz or something before that? It's funny, because at Viacom... I worked on a bunch of things. Oh, that's right. What am I? That company. Oh, yeah. The yeah. first thing would have been a Beavis and Butt. Like the funny thing is that Beavis virtual and Butt stupidity. Had virtual stupidity. Yeah, which is yeah. a classic. Yeah, which is right. Yeah. yeah, and then it's funny is I I made it. You may have been the producer on those little MTV games that they extracted out of it. I did the uh, Wiener Takes All that you don't know Jack ripoff. Oh, sorry, I didn't say ripoff. Up uh, yeah. <laughs> fired by. Right. Yes, it was Beavis and Butt trivia. Okay. So yeah, okay. that was a uh, uh, Baki worked on the little thingies and stuff where we just we made. I did a mini little games. thingies. Yeah, okay. little thingies was like because they took out. I had an ant mini game, so I, yeah. I cleaned Burn, that up and I may have made. Yeah. Yes, I, I, yeah, I had that, which was cool because for a while that was a free demo. So I could like put that on my website as like, look, mm. I'm not pirating anything, and you could see one of my products. And that was yeah. you know before you know. That was like when there was only like shitty flash games. So it was like right, neat right. that someone could click on the EXE and it mostly worked. But then after that, I think it was Subterracore, which was um uh, of course, which yeah. was a big yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. Subterracore, you know, in the on the games I've worked on, like that was one of those most like bittersweet learning experiences where yeah. it was like a game I wanted to make forever. I loved Japanese style RPGs. Mm -hmm. you know, the team was amazing. Right. You know, Elisa and and everybody over there. Hey, and man, yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those learning experiences where you're like, you. It was like one of those first things where like the market slapped you in the face. Where I wasn't used. Yeah. To, I mean, I kept thinking like, yeah, if you make an amazing game that's really cool, uh, you know, there'll be a giant audience, and you'll be, you know, you'll yeah, be right, doing more of those, and you'll be in the top of the world working on that kind of stuff. And it was one of those like, wow, like nobody showed up. 
you know, for it kind of thing. Right. And, you know, I think it was just, I hadn't really experienced that before, like that point, you know, like, I mean, because mm-hmm. that Viacom, like this, like the, the Beavis and Butthead virtual stupidity, it got, it didn't really sell that many, but it, I think Viacom was really proud of it. Like, I think it was like, I got a plaque for like a hundred thousand units, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right, right. which nowadays it's like, right. you know, that's nothing, you know, a right, like, right. hundred thousand isn't anything. But I remember like they clearly did something they, they weren't mm-hmm. thinking it was going to do because that was a good number for them. And it seemed like it was received well enough and all that. But yeah, yeah like I think, I think like Septera was my first thing where I was like, you know, really under, like understanding like more of the industry of like, wow, you can still make something great that you put all your passion and time on and it doesn't mean it doesn't resonate, it's going to get yeah. rewarded. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the market didn't say, yeah, make more of those. And, so what are you curious about right now in the industry? I mean, because you're in the forefront there, you're working on different platforms, you're doing different stuff. Okay, quick question break. What are your thoughts so far? Do you have a topic idea, a question to ask, or a guest suggestion? Let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. I think a, a couple things, like, I think one thing is um, kind of like what you're talking about with all these services, mm-hmm. just seeing where they go, like knowing that like all of them aren't going to succeed and seeing right. which ones do, which ones don't, why didn't they succeed, you know, or, you know, what I mean, the whole streaming thing is really intriguing and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it seems like, oh, there's a lot of cool reasons why streaming could be really great. And there's a lot of things of like why it won't work. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really interested in that i I tend to feel like i I fall on the side of like it'd be i've heard of things like like steam might do it or something where you actually buy the game but then you have an option to stream it which would be like well that would be the best of both worlds right you'd own it you could download it but if you don't want to download it and you want to play it on the you know somewhere on your phone you could Mm -hmm. actually stream it or something so that would be i don't think i don't know if that's actually happening but that sounded like like a cool idea of that yeah but then yeah I, i something that's always amazing to me in this industry is that there's always some dominant player. There's always somebody who's like, like totally dominant, unstoppable, mm-hmm. and you can't even understand in your head how they'll ever be knocked off their perch. But mm-hmm. then like every three years, it's like something else becomes the new dominant it game. Right. That came out of nowhere that you could have never predicted by a company you wouldn't have saw doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, right. you know, like, like it's always crazy to think that like it always feels like, oh, we're done here. You know, this game took over. Yeah, and time to move on, but it's like no, that always changes. Like every every time, like nobody ever stays on the top forever with these games, and then something that you w- can never predict will will be the next thing. Right. Like I never thought Dota and those things would have ever been big, mm-hmm. and now I would have never thought they would have slowed down. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. Because like well, now they're this big, they're just going to keep yeah. keep going. And, and yeah, I mean, there was right. one point where it's like, oh my god, these are the biggest things ever. And everyone needs to have a Dota clone, and but no one's going to topple Dota and League of Legends. And mm-hmm. now, like you just don't hear as much about them compared to things like Fortnite or, you know, what Call of Duty was. Or I remember just how giant Madden was. You know, that Madden was just this massive thing at one yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, and then you even go back further, like Street Fighter and things like that. And it's just like it always seems like some game is going to be the biggest dominating game that, and it'll never stop dominating but yeah or, or even genres right like there was a whole yeah. period i was like the 90s where it was the you know real-time strategy games and you had red alert yeah. out there and it was like 
you know, Starcraft, Starcraft, yeah. and all that. The joke was, you know, you couldn't swing a dead cat, you know, without somebody making making an RTS, and then they just poof, just disappeared. Like, where did they go? You know, they just, just yeah, gone completely. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's even crazy that like, I mean, forever everyone's like, you know, people will only play like first person shooters, and then mm. well, Fortnite came out and changed that. You know, now right. people are fine with third person shooters. And, yeah. You know, people only play hyper-realistic and now they're playing a cartoony game. Cartoony game, right. It's like nothing, you can't predict why that's going to take over and why it's going to work. Or first-person games, you only play on a keyboard. You can't play it on a console. Halo comes out and like, okay, I'll play first-person games with a controller now. And yeah, they just break the rules. Yeah, and you even look at something like Halo where it's like, I thought Halo was just the king of FPSs for a long time. I mean, that's all... Mm-hmm. people were talking about and now i mean the thing is a lot of those games don't really i mean halo is still super popular and yeah. people will play yeah, it and they, right. they'll make a great amount of money on that but it's not yeah. the same cultural thing when it was like number one in everyone's head yeah and it's like nintendo is fairly perennial with every zelda and mario that they're going to go to the top but they're not mm-hmm. like it's not like everyone every night is just playing zelda right now you know the right. same way they're playing Fortnite or something right yeah yeah, yeah. halo was just so huge i, I mean they i uh, buddy Chris Nicolella on the show, and he was talking about, you know, the movie that was being worked on, right? Because you know, they were Peter making Jackson the movie. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were making the movie, and he was working on the toys, and the movie fell apart, and and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you just think of how big those things are, and then they they're still a marquee type brand, but they're not that cultural phenomenon they were when they were. So, everyone yeah. would be playing it. You know, and Grand Theft Auto was that way too. I, I just remember to be like, "Oh, you got to get your game up for GTA because it just sucks all the oxygen out, yeah. of the, out of the room, and there's no one's playing anything else because they just everyone just yeah. jumps on GTA." Although GTA is still insane, where it's like every time I see like a, a Take Two report, they're like, "Yeah, we still made you know one hundred million dollars from GTA Five, and you're like, right. "How the fuck did <laughs> you? Right. Yeah, that came out five years ago, ago or six right. years." Yeah. How are you still making a hundred million or, or it's probably more than that. It's probably like half a billion or something. Yeah. yeah some Insane crazy number. number. I can't yeah. fathom. Yeah. And then I'm like, where, who, who is giving you money that hasn't given you money yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to play, it's, if you play it by just, now, is it third, third world markets? Where does it go? I, I, yeah. I mean, I know, I know like that it's one of those funny things where I think like the online version is mm-hmm. now making so much money in the online version. I've, the way I've heard it, it was an afterthought, you know, by like more like the, not the, you know the the really heads of the that drive it but more right. like someone else and it's now been like the main way it's making money which is funny right but yeah i think what's interesting in the industry now is like gonna see like how i feel like all these passion plays and weird left field things are the things that are kind of dominating you know things like Fortnite, the way dota kind of came from nowhere the way league of legends came from nowhere that um the way warframe came out of nowhere that mm-hmm. I see like the AAA studios like EA and Activision and Ubisoft all a bit trying to figure out like, well, how do you, how do you replicate that? Yeah. How can you tap yeah. into that? And how, how can we make some of that? Yeah. Yeah. Because all these things were done at a lower scale. Like, I mean, I know the, I know like, you know, the way Fortnite was turned into battle royale was not the same scale of turning, you know, making Anthem or, mm-hmm. you know, doing a, a PUBG, giant. Like a PUBG. Yeah. Right? I mean, PUBG was using yeah, assets, perfect. asset stores. Right. You know. Yeah. Totally, yeah, people were all recognizing it as that, and yeah, mm-hmm. and it was just using like I mean, some of the limitations were just because that's the way UE4 did it out of the box, you know, originally. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's like interesting to see of like how can these AAA studios replicate that, or can't they replicate it? 
you know, yeah. and then it, it really feels too, like even the, um, you know, I, I don't know how closely you're following Death Stranding right now, but Not um, too much, unfortunately, no, what's, yeah. but like just it's, even though the critics kind of ripped it, it's really blowing up in terms of like, it's all over my Twitter feeds. It's all over all the you know blogs I read. It's all over, you know, a lot of people I, I just anecdotally know are playing it. You know, mm-hmm. they're all like, like saying, yeah, it's not, you know, once you, ex- you know, have these expectations are tempered, it's, it's good for what it is. And, and that's such a weird, strange game. And I think almost the interest in it, whether you're buying it or whether you're just reading about it or whether you're watching videos, mm-hmm. that it's showing like, well, it's something new, right? It's something different than you've, yeah. it's not just another shooter version or something that you've done. It's basically an indie game done at the most highest AAA level. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that it's like exciting to people. And they're talking, and I, I think like at first I was like, when it was getting kind of um, mixed reviews, I was like, oh, does Sony really regret they put so much into that, but now it's just been dominating a lot of the mind share that I'm like, oh, they must view this as a victory. You know, the fact that everyone's talking about it and it's only on a PlayStation 4 right now. Right, right. Which must is key be for like, them, right? It's like, yeah, like that must hardware. be a win. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's comparing the PS4 Pro to the PS4, you know, and stuff like that. So it's like, I wonder if like our, I don't know how you incubate that though into like a giant publisher. Like, how do you, yeah, how would, I mean, right. You know, do you, do you hire somebody and just let them go crazy? Like that's what happened there. Like they just yeah. let Kojima do what Kojima does. I mean, I don't know if a AAA studio could justify. Like, yeah, we made that and no one showed up. Right, you know, right, right. right. It's like a hundred million dollar play and, and yeah. like one person's vision and nobody cared. Like I don't, I don't know how you do that. So right. it's like a really interesting space to be in. Like you, obviously, you see big famous IPs can just, you know, things like Madden, mm-hmm. things like Mortal Kombat, those mm-hmm. things can just kind of keep going and just be bigger, better, more. But mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the things that, you know, if you want to, if your goal is really to replicate like a Fortnite success, like how you would do that seems, you know, really like, I have no clue. Like I would have right. no advice to EA or Activision or anything. like, there's no, like, you know, armchair quarterback on well you should right, right, you know right. just do this they get it all done yeah uh, yeah. yeah well especially too because they have all that structure and they have yeah. all their you know shareholders uh, shareholders <laughs> but you know the, the the gates and the green lights and and yeah all the processes where they'll be like i don't get it shut it down you yeah know, so it would never never see the light of day and um yeah shareholders i mean wow you know ubisoft was just hammered uh, a couple a week or two ago where they were saying how much they missed their earnings by like a billion dollars like yeah yeah we missed what's but what's crazy is that they were following their formula that had worked mm-hmm. so long and then people just like yeah i'm done with formula kind of thing yeah you know i mean right there were some other things where i think they were it sounded like a little too much of a games as service and less of like a thing mm-hmm. that was like a, a turnoff for fans but it doesn't seem like they did a giant pivot into something negative yeah you know it seemed like it was a subtle shift that was just enough for people to go yeah we're kind of done with that and yeah. it really made them i that's why like i don't i i would really wonder with these companies like how you i mean ubisoft has a giant stable of ip that they could kind of figure out what's working somewhere else and use their ip to kind of yeah write the ship put, that kind of stuff. yeah yeah and, and same thing with ea and same thing with activision but Mm-hmm. To have like a giant success like these other companies just seems really hard because all of those kind of came from some passion play mm-hmm. from a small, lean, nimble group. 
Right. And yeah, I mean, so I mean, visionary, the, the, right. You know, somebody that's, yeah, like, this is my vision. I'm going to push this through. This is not by committee, you know, that kind of yeah, the, the one thing that they could do more of, I suppose, would be to buy more indie devs that looked like they're on the cusp of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you saw, and that's kind of what Microsoft's been doing, right? Like, yeah, enough of like, you know, like Obsidian just, I mean, they, they clearly saw them doing the outer worlds that, you know, Obsidian had a great track record. Yeah. Right. Always had a problem with funding because they're, you know, and then seeing like, oh my God, they're actually making a game now that's like the game people have wanted. Mm -hmm. And they bought them a year before it even came out. And like, they're going to definitely be rewarded for that play. Right. You know, that that's right. going to work out. And I think like, that's probably what, you know, EA or somebody should do is being, it just seems like they've, yeah. those companies haven't acquired as much, you know, they've been very top down and maybe they need to, yeah. you know, look into that stuff. Yeah. I'm always excited as like an indie group where it's like, there's so, there's so few mid-sized indies that we're always like, mm -hmm. You know, and like every time there's like one that you know, like, damn it, Insomniac's amazing, and uh, then they're like, oh, they got bought. Okay, never mind. They're not. We're not really competing with them. They're owned by Sony, and then like you know, Obsidian. Like, damn, you know, Obsidian's amazing. Like, oh no, Microsoft bought them. Microsoft bought them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like slowly, there's not like that many in the mid area. You know that. Yeah. You feel like you're actually like competing, like you know, on that kind of scale with. Yeah, got a niche there. What about like AR and VR? Because I know you guys were early on. Um, space in the name but the uh the vr with the uh vr experience with steve bowler and stuff like that what are your thoughts on ar and vr yeah so it's funny this is the first year and i think four years that we don't have a vr work for a higher project right now like mm -hmm. we wrapped something up that that um i can't talk about but it, it may never see the light of day like it literally like they're having a hard time realizing if they should even publish it because mm -hmm. you know the, the project was approved went through like trc submissions oh wow everything. That, that far right and yeah. and they're just more like we don't know if it's worth the effort to release it because it's just like the market is so strange like um right and the marketing money they have to put in it in the user acquisition yeah exactly like that, the yeah, support the like, marketing money keeping you know so people don't refund it and what do they have to do and yeah yeah like do they want to even you know it's a it's a it's a famous I, movie IP and they're like, do we even want to like dilute the movie IP if we need to use it for something else? Like, will they feel like, mm. do we want it to feel more like it's been a while since you saw this IP versus like, you know, having this out and then doing something else in two years. So right. it was like this thing where they, they kind of viewed to shelf it. And um, it's just, I think like VR is in a really interesting state where I think for a while I was like, okay, this is, you know, I think like it's super compelling. You know, you have these, yeah. but it was hard to set up, you know, you'd have to calibrate your room. Yeah, you'd have to paint in the lighthouses. ass. Yeah, very hobbyist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then I think when like quest and smaller things came out, it was kind of disappointing to see, well, with, even with that friction gone, it's still just not latching mm -hmm. the same way. And it's like, I, I, I almost feel like what's funny about VR is like whenever I would have it ready and somebody had the mind space for it and I would give it to them. They'd be like, this is amazing. I love this. Mm -hmm. This is so cool. This is totally the future of entertainment. Yeah. And then they just wouldn't feel ever compelled to do it on their own. It's almost like yeah. or go going to some one. great restaurant or something. And you're like, yeah, I loved it. It was an amazing meal, but I may never go there again you know, right, like, right, right. for whatever yeah. reason, like commitment or getting a babysitter or the time or it's, a far yeah. enough drive there was some reason you yeah. just don't do it enough and i think like that was like kind of it feels like that's what vr has been like for a lot of people where they like it but it's like mm -hmm. maybe just being turned off to the world for any piece of time is too much for them 
yeah. you know, not knowing what's happening on their phone, not knowing what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. That it's just, you know, I mean, movies are even a little bit like that for me, where sometimes when I go to a movie, I do get a little anxious. I don't know, you know, what's happening. Like if I go on a weekend or something, it's fine. But if I yeah. go early during the week, I'm like, is someone trying to get a hold of me? Is something going on? Like I'm, I, it's always a little bit in the back of my head. And I think with VR, mm-hmm. that's like an amplification of you don't know what's going on around you. Right. I, I tend to think of like, like sometimes I even think with VR where, to me, the evolution of VR will really be that where you kind of like lay down in bed and you put maybe two electrodes up to your temples and mm-hmm. you know you get this like flawless reality of like a dream, you know, where you smell things, you feel things, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's the most deep realistic thing is possible and you can go on a virtual vacation and do everything and it actually feels like you're doing it. Right. And that's something that I feel like, you know, we, you know, I'm not even sure if that'll happen in my lifetime, but that would be the ultimate, like, I think like, anyone would do that it would almost be like a drug right like you yeah, know, yeah. Be addicted to living this other life where they have a, you know if it's some kind of you know like outcast like <laughs> yeah. male outcast he would have this model wife and model life and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. would be flawless he'd be the superhero in that universe yeah. and he would never want to get out of it maybe but yeah but almost like as it is now it's like it's i'm i'm having a bit of a harder time seeing where it really goes like, like, what would it take to make it go more mass market? And yeah. Even like throwing out, like everyone's always like, well, if, when Apple does it, it'll go. Mad. And it's like, well, you still have some of those frictions. I mean, maybe you won't. I don't know. Maybe there'll be some killer app for it that mm. is so like it part of more of your life the same way that, you know, you know, answering a text is or the way Facebook is. But I mean, the fact that Facebook has this and they still haven't like turned it into, they haven't even you know, it hasn't even reached its Facebook audience at all is like a weird thing where it's like, you know, maybe it doesn't reach, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe it's too much work, you know, to stand. Maybe it's like, it's hard to know like what that would be. I, something I could see like, which would be really cool for PlayStation five would be a much more like easily integrated headset where even if you were playing like sit down games, you could kind of use VR for peripheral to like look around. So you had this beautiful, Oh, okay. you know, 4K display around your eyes. So you're just, yeah. you know, wherever you look, you're kind of doing the head look. So, mm-hmm. and maybe it's less about standing with the move controllers and things, but more just like kind of like what I guess Resident Evil did, but that kind of got people sick. So, you know, if they even mm-hmm. had some system level, like motion settings, like if they, if they gave it a little more thought like that, that could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a enhanced way to play traditional games or something. Yeah, you know, in in terms of AR, AR is a really interesting thing for me. Where I, uh, you know, I had a spinoff company doing some AR things, and it was really early with Google Tango. Oh wow, yeah. And we were, yeah, I had a launch title for that, like a game. And I think like really early on with AR, I kind of like, I it's one of those things like before it existed, it was so compelling in my head. Like you'd be able to see things in the world, and you'd be able to, you know, there'd be little creatures and little things always around you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first versions of the games we had, like, you know, it was really hard to make them compelling. Like, um, yeah. like one of our games, like it, it did actually change with AR. Like you, like, you know, we, we really tried to integrate, like, what would be different about this? What are you using in your world to play the game? Mm-hmm. Cause like all those tabletop games were just like, yeah, they're kind of a gimmick, but the game isn't any different. You know, if you're playing right. an AR game on your table, it's, it's like, gimmick, that could yeah. just, yeah, that could just be a free cam in a normal game. It's not really using your world. So, tr- we were trying to use the world not so much directly like a thing would hide behind a sofa or a thing would do things, but the fact that you had to move around your space and you know, mm-hmm. if your space was 
cramped, it would be harder to play because things would chase you and you needed some room. And you know where a staircase was, where a door was, where an exit, where it kind of helped you a bit. But it wasn't very, it still didn't really use the space well enough. I mean, mm -hmm. it still was like the easiest to almost stand in the center and just kind of like shoot things before they got close to you. Right. And then I think like I, I was very enamored by the kind of like early promises of HoloLens and Magic Leap where, you know, you, you know, there's yeah, flawless Leap, right? yeah. visions in your eyes and you would just see these things like they were lifelike. And yeah. I mean, I remember it sounding like that sounds incredible and unlike anything I've ever seen. And then, you know, none of those things really happened. And then you're like, you kind of learn when, when you go a lot deeper and understanding all the issues with that of like how hard it is to shrink. You know, it's like, it's not just like um, Murphy's law with, you know, computers getting better and faster, but it's yeah. literally like the laws of optics, which don't change, you know, like how you, <laughs> how you bend light through, you know, a, a lens mm -hmm. is not like, that's not something that really changes. Like, that's, yeah. you know, we kind of know how that works, you know, and the fact that most of these, you know, work the same way, like Disney's haunted mansion works. Like it's a pepper's ghost trick of, you know, reflecting something off glass or something. And it's like, you need space for that. And, yeah. and all these kind of things where it's like, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of ways this can really be shrunk. And then even further, mm -hmm. like the way you have to like understand your surroundings and, you know, like there would always be this talk of like a, you know, the ghost game where, you know, go upstairs and look into your drawers and oh, you know, right. you're supposed to find a note and this note will be glowing in your drawer. And it's like, what kind of like machine learning and AI and scanning and everything yeah. has to happen before that would even be possible, you know, to like, like we can barely, you know, make something sort properly with, you know, like a table, right? Like how in are we going to environment versus yeah. walking around? Yeah. 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 It so it's like, it's like all that kind of stuff is so far out. And then some of it too, like, I think even, even imagining it working, it's like, um, it's hard to know if it's totally like, do I even care? Do I want to do it some more? Like, like one mm -hmm. of the best um, AR games ever was, it was shipped with the whole, whole lens where um, this game fragments okay. where this murder mystery happens and they kind of like tear it's kind of like it's in your world, but it's out of your world. Like they spawn a fake world inside your world. And mm -hmm. there'll be things like they actually will hide things behind things. So like there's a clue somewhere in this room. And because you have to scan your room in kind of before you play, uh, something will be like hidden behind your couch. And you're like, oh, that's kind of neat. It's behind your couch. And then right. these virtual characters, they're like smart enough to sit on your chairs and stuff if there's a chair. And if there's no chair, they'll stand. And I'm like, I thought that was really cool. Like, oh my yeah. God, it actually knows to sit in this chair versus standing and i thought that was really cool yeah but at the same time like as cool as that was and that that was really neat i don't know if i ever needed to do it more than once you know right. it wasn't yeah. the same as like wanting to that. play yeah yeah it wasn't the same as like being addicted to like playing breath of the wild or something like that mm -hmm. it's like it wasn't like the escapism i like out of those other games or those other yeah. things like you know and it's almost like you know maybe games really are fairly perfect by just sitting down and having a screen and you you take in what you want and what you don't want mm -hmm. and you choose you're not you know it never gets maybe the intensity of vr you know or ar is like almost too much like maybe right. it's nice that you're not maybe it's nice that you have a little screen you know and that you yeah, have your yeah. coke you're looking at and your drink and your food and your you know if there's someone else in the room maybe like that's a, the right amount of intensity yeah. you know and actually to be fully immersed is something we always think about is like a golden standard, like the full immersion, mm -hmm. but maybe it's actually not it's too much. People. Yeah. Yeah. Sensory yeah. overload. You're like, ah, oh, I can't. Right. Like maybe it's cool for a small thing, but not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like all those, like every time they've like, they put like Skyrim and things in VR and 
you know, regardless of people. Yeah. yeah. And people say, oh, the port's good or bad, but it seems like everyone's like, yeah, I want to try it, but they don't really like live in there. They don't keep mm -hmm. coming back to it. They don't. Yeah, not going to play for 40 hours. Like, yeah. Or 200, you yeah. know, like they will on their PC. So it's like, yeah. and like, yeah, maybe that's why, maybe it's like, you know, they, they just, you want to sit, you want to take it easier. You want to. So I don't know. And then AR, AR is a weird, you know, to even further we're going like, what are my thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, that, you know, just a few years ago, I was so excited that it was this open field of like, you know, no one knows where this is going to go. Mm -hmm. Like Apple doesn't own it. Facebook doesn't own right. it. You know, Microsoft doesn't own it. Like anyone could kind of come in here. The Nobody SDKs, knows how these things make it for the different platforms. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Yeah. And then now it just kind of all devolved into Snapchat filters <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> Literally, like that's uh, yeah. all anyone does with it. Nobody cares if you do something really cool. I mean, I've seen some really neat things with body tracking and cool things. And like, uh -huh. no, all they care about is like a gimmicky thing on your face. Like it's right. like it quickly became Look, where I, I made like, oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a viral thing with it. I made that uh, aha video. Oh, it's it. right. Yeah, the aha video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it had millions of views. It went viral. I got contacted by venture capitalists the sec second that happened. <laughs> It's funny. Wow, I actually, big. I, I yeah, I uploaded that video an hour before I got on a plane to Europe for a family vacation. So I uploaded the video, yeah. went on the vacation, and when I got off the plane, my thing was insane. Like it was literally right. like it was one of those stories of like where everything went nuts. Like I had tons of like contact me, con like hmm. I had TechCrunch contacted me for a story. The Verge <laughs> contacted me for a story, and I had to do like a call with them in Europe, and I'm like, right. It was like, why couldn't I have wrapped this up a week earlier? You know? right. but, um, but it was so like, it was exciting. It was like, wow, this is exciting technology. This is so neat. And yeah. all that just evaporated into nothing. Mm -hmm. Like it's just Facebook filters now. And yeah, it, like tell people real quick, just about the whole AHA video, just in case they had, they weren't familiar with it. With, yeah. So with the video. It was, yeah, which, yeah, it was yeah. basically, you know, AHA had this amazing video in the eighties of where, you know, it's real life people. And then they kind of walk into this rotoscoped, hand-drawn world and I, at the time it was one of the coolest yeah music like videos ever and i, I kind of had a play on words where i'm like this is you know ar's aha moment and some people gave me shit like you really think you figured out th this important th and it's like it's a play on words it's, there, there's an aha video yeah so this is yeah but it was basically like doing this filter where the world was like half drawn and half um not drawn it's funny i use this very specific technique to do it and I still haven't seen it replicated, which is funny because I still get emails of people going, I haven't seen your app. Where, where's your app? And right. I just haven't bothered putting it out. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it was able to do like a, a, it was able to kind of simulate what was doing in the video where you can see this half world that's half hand drawn and half this world that's still real and moving in and out of that hmm. space. But yeah, like it really like did it crazy blew up for me in a way that nothing else I've ever done has blown up like that. Right. You're right. And if, I mean, you, you put it out there before vacation, you're like, eh, I've been working on this. I'll just get it out. Like you weren't anticipating that, you know, lightning. In right. the bottle anyway. I had put out other things and nobody gave a shit. Like right. I had put right. out. Yeah. It's funny. I made this one star Wars AR thing like well before, like now there's a lot of star Wars AR, but mm -hmm. this at the time there was nothing. And it's funny. It got a little bit of notice and um, without mentioning names, somebody who was important at ILM contacted me mm. and they're like, they're like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? It's RIP, Why do you fucking right? do this? Yeah, yeah this is RIP. <laughs> and it wasn't like I owned it. He just, he was an employee there, but right. he was very upset about it. <laughs> and he's like, you know, you know, cause he saw it on Christmas and somebody congratulated him. They said, Hey, we saw that cool thing you did. Uh, like, you didn't do anything. And he got really, <laughs> I mean, I literally got this text on Christmas day. 
<laughs> so it was like he was at a Christmas party. Right. Like when he like furiously typed it, right. like, you know. I'll waste that and and then, nah, I'm so a bitch. Rah, 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 yeah. Rah. And the, the weirdest thing, actually, so this is a famous person. <laughs> this is a person who has an Oscar, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I is he short? Actually, <laughs> I, I can't go in. Yeah. Well, no, no, but they, um, I actually bumped into them at a professional function. And, um, they said, you're the guy that did that thing, right? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, was I a dick? You know what I'm like? <laughs> yeah. You're kind of were. Yeah. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, he's like, I, it's like, we, we have so much stress, you know, where he, I think, I don't remember if he left the company at that point. Okay. Not, but he's like, you know, we, we get so much stress about what we can and can't do with these IPs and uh, you know, you can do so many projects and they don't come to life. Right. And then everyone's random guy you, does this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, you know, we can't justify certain things with budgets and people get mad at the money you did spend that you couldn't do then do something with. And that, mm. yeah. And then when you just kind of came out with that, I think I just blew up or something. And so he didn't quite apologize either, <laughs> but right. he, he at least gave it some context that I'm like, Oh, I, yeah, I can totally see that. I can see like why, you know, you, you kind of want to, they were really hoping to do a big Star Wars AR reveal, and not that my thing went big at all, but the fact mm -hmm. that it, it did get a it got like a venture beat story and it got something else. Yeah, but I think it it got I think it got enough stories, not so much to the public, but to some professionals. Mm -hmm. And like to them, it's like if their bosses saw it, that's like what pissed them off. Like right. you guys are moving so slow that this right. rando did something <laughs> with his tech. You know, what the so hell did they beat you to the punch, man? Yeah, what the yeah. hell? You're, you're we're now French. like, I mean. Yeah, now there's like Star Wars Google apps and shit like that than AR yeah. you know, that use. So now it's like, it's so it's such a different world already in just a few years. Oh, Disney owns it. So Spaceballs, the lunchbox. There you go. Yes. Yeah, right. Merchandising. Um, so yeah, you've told a bunch here, but like, is there any kind of like a funnier odd story that you haven't told that you want to talk about the industry that kind of stands you know, out? It's funny. I thought of one thing and I already forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's some stories that like I literally couldn't tell because some people would have lawsuits and stuff. yeah right yeah you know it's like ha, yeah. ah, i can't even like phrase that around something you right know? Or, or change their name or uh, yeah um yeah one thing i think is interesting is how something i i really liked about viacom like my first job which was funny mm -hmm. that you you'd think this was the opposite of where we'd be but at viacom like you know my immediate boss was a woman Mm -hmm. And my project lead was a woman. And then the studio head was a woman. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's cool. That's so cool that, you know, this, yeah. you know, this company is like that. And I've never had that again. I've never <laughs> yeah. like, I'm right. like, I thought like it was very normal to have like a, you know, like yeah. I couldn't believe how in hindsight, the first job I had 20 years ago in video games was far more. Right. Especially like, 20 years ago in video games. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was right. more progressive than what, you know, I had, what, I've ever had now, like, you know, yeah. Midway wasn't like that, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. it's just, it's crazy that, um, you know, like, um, uh, that for what I, I hoped, I thought the industry was more going that direction and it might be finally now, but it's interesting right. that it's been yeah. taking that long to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of that only because I started, my mind started going to all the, the opposite experiences at Midway where it's just very boys club yeah you know, thing right, of like right. weird like things that definitely you know were were you know would not pass the muster of this current generation of things you know yeah right like right. you know thinking and it's like um yeah it's it's it, you know all those kind of like weird stories of things that happened already like wow you know it's 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 actually times, pretty great yeah. 
how much we've progressed, you know, past yeah. those things to where it was. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think sometimes, yeah, maybe the content drives some of the environment or whatever. I, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that's a, a funny thing of like, you know, when you think of the classic idea of this like booth babe and it's like the fact that that was like some kind of draw to, you know, yeah. E3 thing and that like midway always had like these cheerleader types and things you know right. like that this the model wearing the skimpy cheer and it's like it's funny to think of how you know one way you think like how slow things are moving then another way it's like well that that's pretty obsolete yeah quick, you know like, like right. that and you know relatively speaking that that's pretty obsolete you know yeah way. yeah that that was part of e3s at one time ces that was just that was just business it was like it was kind of weird and now you look back and you're like wow that really was weird and it's gone so yeah yeah what about games you're uh is there a game you're playing now that you're excited about or well i think some of the stuff in uh you know things like the death stranding stuff was kind of cool like i was mentioning yeah something that blows me away i don't know if you've seen untitled goose game at all you no, know, I, I I see it on Twitter feeds, and I was like, "What is this goose in there?" Everyone's talking about. Yeah, I, I I mean, it's not so much that it's like, like mind blowing like design, but it's like it's just beautiful. My um my son loves it. My daughter loves it. It's got a beautiful piano score. I think it's one of those like I know like I mean, as a game dev, I'm super jealous of it. It's like very simple. It's almost like GTA, mm -hmm. but very like micro detailed instead of macro. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's like basically poking at a simulation by just doing things. It's it's basically this goose trolling people. It's harassing people, <laughs> and it's hilarious and funny because it's a goose and there's no violence. Right. And it's very like there's no reset. There's no dying. There's no like uh, you just kind of just keep doing stuff to what you till what you want to do happens. And it's like it's really elegant. Like in this everything, like the visuals are elegant, the music's elegant, the design mm -hmm. is elegant. Just very polished. It, like yeah. resonated with people. Yeah. Like I mean, it's. It's, it's really, it's, uh, we, we got it on the switch. It's really good on the platform too, of just being able to, you know, mm -hmm. play it, hold, you know, on your TV and talk about what, what you're doing and everyone right, wants right. to grab the controller. Let me try to like mess with that person, you know, and yeah, you could just see it. Like, like they could make the next like untitled goose city or, you know, they could keep like expanding it bigger or different locations mm -hmm. or a different animal instead of a goose, yeah, harassing, right. like a raccoon yeah, yeah. harassing people or a whatever that next, yeah, yeah, or yeah. squirrel, you know, like yeah. when a squirrel takes, like they could literally turn it to anything and it would just keep going and being charming and amazing. And it's like almost like, such a positive role model of a game too. <laughs> right. You're just like, it couldn't, you know, while you're actually a troll and an asshole <laughs> and even a bit of a bully, right. it's like wholesome by, you know, there's no, yeah. you're just a goose. Like how bad can a goose be? You know? Right. 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 Yeah. It, and it's just like the fact that it resonated so well. I mean, it might be one of those things like the next one won't do the same this did, but mm. it's even one of those things where I'm even amazed as a developer where sometimes I think I close down that some ideas aren't valid because they were kind of done before mm -hmm. like um like uh if you think of um you know those there, there was goat simulator before oh yeah right yeah and yeah. and i remember like when goat sim came out and like first of all there was a million copycat apps mm -hmm. but then um but then also like oh well this this is done you know you're this goat and you're messing around and you're mm -hmm. you're playing around so therefore this genre is done yeah you need to find the next goat simulator but it's funny that like it's vaguely like that, but it's so different and so micro detailed that it doesn't get into some fake physics ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. It more gets into like very subtle, like, you know, tripping a kid or pulling something or trying to steal someone's hat, like very detailed kind of things. Yeah, like that are little things. Yeah. 
Yeah. In a way that like, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically GTA, you know, but that really tiny, tiny detail that like, <laughs> instead of it being about cars and distances, it's about very small items and things like that. So huh. yeah, check that out. Didn't they do an online version of the goat simulator or am I, am I get my, yeah, no, crossed? they did like an MMO and they did a lot of stuff. <laughs> I like, yeah. All right. That's what we got to do. We got to do an MMO. There's yeah. That, well, I think what it was is it was a company that literally had an MMO. Oh, they they were right. making, they, they made a giant RPG and no one cared. Yeah. And then on like a lark, they're like, oh, look at this next game we're going to work on for April Fools. And it was like, they just took like a goat asset and they just took like a city and they just smashed them into stuff. And everyone's like, yeah, we want that. And then they literally took their MMO and swapped it with a goat. Right. You know? Like we did all this work and you want the stupid goat thing? What the hell? Yeah. But yeah. It's like, you never know. Well, cool. Is, is there anything I should have asked you about but didn't? I don't think so. <laughs> okay that's fair. we covered <laughs> enough yeah and where can people find you online uh you know website twitter things like that i'll put it in show notes yeah but... i think i don't even know my twitter name i think it's just chips and any on twitter something like that chips and any on linkedin anything like that yeah and then yeah. you know uh phosphor is the the main uh game studio i work with so yeah phosphor games phosphor games okay yeah i'll put all that in show notes and no, it's, it's been great having you on uh, tonight, Chip. And yeah, hopefully people enjoy this. So um, thanks cool. for Cool. Thanks on. for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. If you found it interesting or helpful, please leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. I have a lot of great episodes coming out. As always, I want to hear from you, the game development community. So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website, gamedevadvice.com. I want to know your struggles, your questions, and your ideas. Since the podcast is really about you, the fellow game developer, and our game development community. Thanks and take care. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>